0: to Broads, Books, and Booze. This is your host, Jamie, and this is Monica. Hello, hello. Yay! Hello, we are back again this month with another new exciting book. It's called Before We Were Yours by Lisa Wingate. I belong to several book groups on Facebook, and one of them is a historical fiction book group. They loved this book. So many of them raved about it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to have to put this on the list. And I put it on the list, and we both liked it, so we're like, we're going to do this one for the
1: podcast. Definitely. I liked it a lot. And I don't like historical fiction, generally speaking.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you want to give a brief overview
1: of the story, Monica? Yes. It's about um, victims of the Tennessee Children's Home Society. Basically, in that area, many single moms and poor families were victimized. Their children basically kidnapped and sold. And this is a story about um, a descendant of one of those victims who is learning her family history. And and it, it was really well told and very emotional. I liked it.
0: I did a fair bit of crying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a list of discussion questions that I got from an uh, online group. Uh, the website is readinggroupguides.com. And the first discussion question I think is a perfect way to start this off. It says, Before We Were Yours alternates between historical story of the Foss children and the modern-day story of Avery Stafford. Did you have a favorite between these storylines? Which one and why?
1: Well, my favorite storyline was The Foss Children, because I thought they were interesting and different, and it was a way of life I knew nothing about. Whereas Avery's storyline, even though I grew to like her very much, being the daughter of a politician and somewhat of a politician herself and their whole way of life was uh, kind of a very drawback.
0: very wealthy for me. privileged right um, you know Protestant upbringing very
1: very concerned about what other people might say and do yeah. you like know
0: very privileged and very political yeah yeah <clears throat> And the Foss family has this very non-traditional family style. The mom and dad consider themselves married, but legally weren't married. So that's why the Tennessee decided that they didn't need their kids. And the
1: kids called them by their first names, not mom and
0: dad. Right. They, They didn't traditionally always go to school. They moved around a lot. They were considered river gypsies. They had a network of... Uh, people that they knew, they had different, uh, different lifestyle, and this was taking place
1: like shortly after the depression, correct, or during the depression. Right. So
0: the Tennessee Children's Home operated between 1920 and 1950. So it operated for like 30 years. So somewhere in that time was the story of the Foss family. I don't know exactly when it was, but it was before 1950 because the last children uh, adopted out were in 1950. Okay, so, uh, sorry for the guttural noises. I'm a little bit congested. I know it's, it's not technically allergy season anymore, my fellow listeners, but something horrendous has happened and my air conditioner died. (laughs) So I've had the windows open, and I have a portable air conditioner, and it just doesn't filter the air as well, so I am a bit more congested. I apologize. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what that noise is. I don't know if that's my neighbors or if that's my kids. I think somebody's drilling outside or
1: sawing or something.
0: I I, I thought about hosting the podcast in my backyard, and I was like, oh, my neighbors are kind of noisy sometimes. (laughs) I'm like, I'll just... I'll open the door because it's pretty warm down here in the basement. I was like, maybe that'll help if we get a breeze. I'm like, "Uh, it's just still kind of sticky. So question number two, many families have been touched in some way by adoption and foster care. Is adoption or foster care in your family history? If so, how did that affect your thoughts about the journey of the FOSS children and about Avery's excavation of her family history? Do you have anything in your family? So my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, was adopted. My great-grandmother was a teen mom. And at that time, it was um, very poorly looked upon to be an unmarried woman, single, having a baby. So she hid who the father was to my grandmother. Other people that were alive at the time obviously knew who she was stepping out with. But my grandmother had no idea who her biological father was. My great-grandmother met a man, got married to him. He adopted my grandmother. So she then had his name, and and then she had two brothers that were uh, from my grandmother and her adoptive father. So I was really interested. I did the ancestry.com DNA test, and I was like, oh, I wonder if we'll find out more information and more relatives because, like, there's this whole sort of hidden side of the family that was this big secret
1: yeah did you come up with anything uh
0: there's uh somebody who i think is probably a cousin of my mom in florida that she wasn't aware of Mm. i'm like oh that's interesting
1: yeah my significant other um was adopted he knew he was adopted i think You know, probably not when he was real little, but for most of his life, he knew that he was adopted. And he has, you know, I've known him since I was 15, and off and on, he has expressed wanting to find his biological parents. And I think that, you know, as anyone would, you have some sort of abandonment issues, and why did they give me up, and that sort of thing. Even though his, I do have record of, like, his parents' ages. They were very young. His mom was 16. I think his dad was 17 and I tried and I told him too sometimes like you were saying back then you know it was so frowned upon a lot of times the mother didn't really even have a choice in the matter it would have to do you know what her parents wanted or whatever um and I bought him a DNA test kit for Chris last Christmas for Christmas oh nice so but he just like before he had kind of started looking for them in that process and then stopped and then he really wanted that DNA kit to maybe find some relatives, but he won't send it in. So <laughs> I think there is a lot of that you want to know, but you kind of don't want to know. Uh huh. So
0: yeah, by the time my um, my grandmother could have found out who her biological father was, everybody of that generation had passed away. Because my my great grandmother just wasn't going to tell anyone. She
1: well wasn't going to tell her. Well, and I think that that happens a lot. My, um,
0: my maternal
1: grandfather had a family before he married my grandma, had two sons. No, and, you know, nobody knew about it until, I mean, very recently before he passed away. So my, my, my mom and her sisters had brothers they didn't know about. And so I think it's a lot more common than... I think
0: it has to deal with, like, uh, shame. Yeah. People feel too much shame, and they don't want to visit it. Um, Mm -hmm. They feel they're going to be disconnected from the family that they do have, and they just want to hold on to what they have. They're too afraid of being disconnected from what they have now, that they're not willing to risk that. Yeah. Which is very sad. Right. Uh, So throughout the story... um, The Foss, there's five Foss children, and then two twins are born. And the parents are told the twins died. And if you sign these papers, they'll pay for the hospital bills and the burial. So even though the parents are educated enough to be able to read, um, they just signed these papers. And that uh, gave this Tennessee Children's Home all seven of the kids custody. Mm so the um the babies were never seen by anyone, not even the parents the The parents didn't even get to see them the dead bodies, so they're just whisked away and then the five children are slowly separated. The oldest one um goes by May when she's adopted, but she has a different real real name uh she eventually gets um placed. For adoption with her other sister Vern because Vern was crying uncontrollably, and missed all of her siblings, and they at least knew where that that they were siblings, and they put them together.
1: And interestingly enough, Rill was old enough to remember her real parents, right? And was you know coerced into not being bad or anything like that. And I think it is true that a lot of the kids that were taken did remember their real families. She was
0: 12 when she's adopted by the new family and her father had said, watch after the baby's real, make, keep the baby safe when the twins are going to be born. And he, uh, the mother had complications and ended up needing to go to the hospital. So she feels responsible. She feels like she, if I just do what they say, if I just reason and I, and we'll we'll go back to, you know, our parents and it's just, it's very sad. Yeah. So the sisters are originally reunited. They decide to keep their history to themselves rather than telling their families.
1: Do you agree or disagree with that decision? Well, I can definitely understand that decision, especially since they found each other as adults. So they already had their own lives. And like you said, there's this shame and there's this... Um feeling of, you know, we don't talk about these things, not wanting to disrupt your life, especially, you know, if you're in the public eye, you don't want anything to come out that might be seen as a scandal, or you don't know how you're now, you know, you're grown and how are your children react to this. You can't know. So I can understand that fear of not wanting to say anything.
0: Right. And, and one of the children...
1: It's implied that they were adopted
0: out by a Hollywood couple mm-hmm. somebody very high profile and um they just I I got how they didn't want to drag their family history through the muck and it wouldn't affect just like one family, it would be affecting five families, well four families, generations of families. Yeah. Multiple families and so
1: I can understand it, although authenticity and truth and all of those things are very important which I feel like the story really does a good job of telling that story about you know it may not seem relevant but it's important you know to who you are to know your past and where you've come from and and also secrets you can sense a secret you know you even if you don't know the truth of it i really feel like sometimes you can tell when certain subjects are hushed up or whatever and so i think ultimately yes it probably would have been better to be upfront about everything but logistically speaking the way that families work i can see why more than likely that's not the case
0: i I'm terrible at keeping secrets. <laughs> I don't think I would have been able to hush my mouth about it. I, I, I don't think it's something I could have ever managed. So thankfully, I was never put in that situation. When I was little, when I was like in kindergarten, I learned about adoption. I was like, oh, you mean you might not be my parents? Like, I'm adopted, and my parents were teenage parents, so they're like, you're not adopted. Believe me. And I was like, but maybe I am. It's okay, Mom. You can tell me, you can tell me if I was adopted and my parents were like, you're not adopted, just back it off. I was so hopeful. I That's was so, funny. so hopeful. I was like, oh, please, please let it be somebody else. And they're like, no. I was like, all right, fine. <laughs> I had another thought and now it's gone. Oh, well, we'll move on to the next question. So, there was a little girl who had a little curl. It's a touchstone between Avery and her grandma Judy. Is there a song or singing that reminds you of someone special in your childhood?
1: Yes, my grandma, who just passed away, would always sing when we were little, you are my sunshine.
0: Aww. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) When I was little, my grandparents lived with us for a short time. And my grandfather would always tell these stories, and he was like, "When I was a little girl," and my sister and I would giggle and laugh, we're like, "You were never a little girl." I was like, "When I was a little girl," and he would tell us these stories, and it made me laugh so much. That's funny. Huh. So today we are having a drink. I bought some um, Jose Cuervo Playa Mar Mar. I, I'm sorry, my Spanish today is off. Hard seltzer
1: lime drinks. Yeah, they're really good. It's like, um, um, what are those things that are called gin and tonic? No, No. they're like white claws kind of. I've never had a white claw. I haven't either. I've had different brands of it, but it's like really good.
0: This is the first time I've had something similar to this. I was like, Oh, it looks summery, and they weren't super expensive. I think it was, like, 10 bucks for mm-hmm. a four-pack, so I'm like, oh, let's give that a try. I was like, "Yeah," oh, and good. it was refrigerated, so I didn't have to, like, chill it, so. so I was lazy. I just stopped by the liquor store on the way home.
1: <laughs> yeah, well-needed relaxation this
0: evening. <laughs> <laughs> if only
1: our lives could be tied up as nicely as they are in books.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! So I totally did not like Avery's fiance from the start of the book. Oh gosh! And then when he starts smack talking her grandma, I was like, mm, <laughs> "Yeah, this better end." Because at first I thought the story was gonna go that um, this guy that she has this chemistry with, they're actually going to find out they're related, and that's gonna be kind of weird, and that she'll still get married to the fiance. So when he does all the smack talking, and then they had found out that Trent was actually um, the sort of like uh, grandson of the little boy that they found in the home that they sort of clung to
1: together. Right. When when the when the kids, the brothers and the brother and sisters started disappearing, they sort of um, connected to this other little boy whose sister had also been taken.
0: Or adopted out,
1: I guess you should say.
0: They were all kidnapped on the same day and taken to the home and kept together. So they felt like this experience was something they had happened together. And then his sister disappears, their siblings are disappearing. So they're like, they're clinging to each other because they're like, we don't know what's going on. But we're, we're in
1: this together. And then I think the oldest Rill, or May, as she's known, um, called later, is the oldest one. And so she feels responsible to take care of the this, younger ones.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, there's a follow-up book to this book as well, um, which I'll talk about after we get through just a few more questions. Okay, let's see here. Uh, oh, uh, question five. Avery laments that the busy schedule expected of a Stafford has prevented her from spending time on um, Edisto Island with her sisters, or Elliot, chooses the schedules we keep we do i guess she tells herself but excuses this with um what does it say here the good life demands a lot of maintenance in our modern age are we too busy too preoccupied with accumulating things to actually enjoy what we do have Too dialed into media and social media what are your thoughts on this
1: well, I have to say that Avery's character development through the book, I liked. She slowly started to prioritize more the things that are really important in life. Um, and she started to hide from her you know, coordinator, <laughs> her event coordinator, and, and make decisions based on what she wanted to do and not what was expected of her. Right. So, yes. 1,000 times yes, life is not about achievement. Not that achieving things is wrong and being successful is wrong. It's not if you get joy from it. You know, you have to follow what makes you happy because life is short. (laughs) And you also have to take into account some of these things that we distract ourselves with if you're consciously distracting yourself with social media, like, I've had a really bad day, I'm going to zone out on Facebook, or I'm going to watch Netflix or whatever, fine, you know you need a break. You're taking a break, you're doing it. But it's when you unconsciously get lost in these things that we lose touch with what's really important in life. Right.
0: Yep. That's very nice, Lisa. Monica? Thank you. Uh-huh. I, I agree. Before coronavirus took over the United States (laughs) I was very busy every night and I enjoyed being busy I love having something to do because if I don't I mostly just sit on the couch and do nothing like I could spend an hour working out and come home and then feel like oh I haven't seen my kids for a whole lot of time today I really need to do something that matters with them now because I was working, and then I worked out, and I made dinner, and I did dishes, so let's play a game, let's connect, let's read a story. And now, I mostly come home and one sits someone one on the couch, I sit on the other end of the couch, the other one's sitting in front of playing PlayStation, and we don't really connect. So I feel like when I'm busier, I prioritize my time to maximum output for what I put in. So I think it kind of depends on a person.
1: Yeah.
0: But I, I feel I spend way too much time on social media.
1: Like Yeah, I, I do too. Problem. And I'll be scrolling through going, you know, really, I should just set up one day a week where I check Facebook as I keep scrolling. And I'm like, there, this is like a brain worm. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is.
0: <laughs> so... While real sees her life on the Arcadia through idyllic eyes of childhood, May in her old age seems to acknowledge that she would have, have traded the life she lived for a different one. Do you think she wonders whether Queenie and Brainy's unconventional existence on the Arcadia would have been sustainable if times changed and more children were added to the family?
1: Well, you know, I think that the storyline was important. In that, May was able to move forward because she was able to go back. And her father had become an alcoholic. Her mother had passed away of a broken heart. I mean, they said it was blood poison or something, but everybody said it was a broken heart because she lost all her kids and he couldn't live without her. And, um,. So, Maybe a poor choice, the boat set on fire. Yeah. So she couldn't she she was able to cut ties with that part of her life. She never had to wonder what if I was able to get back. So I think that was important in the story that she was able to say that goodbye. And then she can look back and say, Yes, you know, all these things that I can't we can all not imagine our lives we can look back and say I wish I would have done this differently like what if I hadn't married this person what would my life be like now but there's so many consequences of that change like maybe you wouldn't have the kid that you have or maybe there's so many things that would be missing you can't look back on a life and say I wish it were different because you wouldn't be the same person no no yeah that was a very convoluted way to answer that question I'm sorry
0: <laughs> I don't know if this isn't one of the questions later or not however towards the end of the book May says everyone comes into your life for a reason and I was like well yeah, maybe maybe think important people come into our lives for a reason and we wouldn't be the people that we are if we didn't have those people in our lives So Monica, for instance, moved back to town after having lived away, and I kept seeing her everywhere I went. And then she moved across the street from me, and I was like, you know, I think we're meant to spend more time together.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And as it turns out, it was exactly what I needed also, because nobody else that I'm friends with is so into books like I am, and we have the most interesting discussions, and Jamie is so fun and gets me out of my shell a little bit. And so, yes, that was definitely meant to be.
0: Yeah. It it made, me, it made me like, Oh, we're we're doing the story and I'm like this this makes me think of Monica. I'm like, Oh <laughs> So uh next question. May says a woman past need not predict her future. She can dance to her own music if she chooses. How's your past made you who you are? What do you want to leave behind? Anything, and what is the true music of your own
1: soul? Oh my goodness i think this is probably this sentence is probably what i struggle with most on a daily basis because i if i look back at myself even 10 years ago you would not recognize me now like i am a totally different person although the essence of me is the same I'm so much more aware of the consequences of my actions. I'm so much less able to just simply not think about things in order for them to not be real kind of thing. I'm much more responsible. I'm much more considerate of, you know, the future and not just the present. And. So, I do struggle on a daily basis with that stupid, stupid person who was me from, like, age 15 to 35. (laughs) And, you know, and I think, I do think about that. Would I leave those things behind? I mean, they plague me so much. Yes, if I could take a magic pill just to forget them, I would. But then I think... How would I have learned all these things that I learned? I wouldn't be the person that I am now had I not gone through the things that I went through. So it's, I think all of us have to be able to find that balance of letting go of that guilt and that shame and that regret. Right. You know, let go of that regret, which is way easier said than done. (laughs) So.
0: Yeah, yeah. I had taken so, so long to finish college. I, uh, you know, different things that I've done that you, you, I agree. It's like, you wish that you could forget and move on and move past them. But then you're like, well, you know, that's, that's who I am though. I made it through all these rough parts of my life and I might, I can handle these things. And I'm like, I'm, I should feel proud of what I've been through and the choices that I made and where I'm at today.
1: I think it's important as a person to realize that. So I think getting over your past that you regret is easier if you, if you don't care so much what people say and what people think, because you are in other people's minds who you were when they knew you. Right? So you exist differently to everybody who's ever known you at different times. Someone who knows me now and someone who knew me 15 years ago could both talk about me and they would be talking about a completely different person, right? Right. So you, you have to be confident in who you are and not worry about judgment and things like that. It's easier to let that pass go, I think.
0: I started a book today. Um... I only made it two chapters, and I was like, this book is not for me. Mm. It's called The Untethered Soul. So the beginning of the book talks about how (laughs) (laughs) there's more than one you. There's the you in your mind, the, the you that talks to yourself, the you that makes choices, the you that you see as you exist in other people. Oh, I think I need this book in my life. Yeah. Uh, And then um, he he starts talking about this inner monologue that um, your brain has that talks about things and it's very judgmental and, you know, and it'll be like, oh, you idiot. Why did you do that? And this sort of like running dialogue. And I was like, Hmm. I do not have this dialogue.
1: Uh, I, I have that
0: dialogue only i i and the whole a like, purpose is to identify the dialogue, move past the dialogue, and then that gives you ability to open up spiritually and I was like well apparently I'm ready for spiritual opening yeah. so I'm stopping on chapter 2 yeah, you didn't need that
1: lesson you already got it <laughs> it was actually
0: making me feel bad I was like I feel terrible why is this voice saying these things I'm like, I don't even have this voice stop saying any of this stuff I'm like "Oh, this book is making me feel crazy good choice to stop it, <laughs> I know I was like I feel I feel very bad for everyone who has that inner monologue that's just a running commentary all day long telling you stuff I'm like yeah I I'm 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 just here I'm in the present sometimes I'm a lump on a log sometimes I'm you know thinking about maybe a book that I might want to write or planning things for the future but definitely not the details that this book had going on so Perhaps a recommendation for those. I heard it on another podcast. I thought I would give it a try. And I was like, oh.
1: I will be getting those details from you after the show.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so the next question. Child trafficking and abuse and economic disadvantage still imperil the lives and futures of children today. What can we as ordinary citizens do to prevent children from being robbed of their safe, happy childhoods?
1: You know, I, I thought about this question and it's really important and upsetting to me. And I feel like having teenage children of my own, what I realize is that I don't know any of my kids' friends' parents. Oh, I feel like as a community, we are not a community anymore. We are individual houses and families and I think probably one of the most important things that we could do is to know who our children are spending time with. Introduce ourselves to their friends' parents and um, not just assume that because your kids are in the company of an adult that they're safe, you know? And that may be like a no-brainer to a lot of people, but I, I really feel like it's just the symptom of this busy society that we live in is that we've all become very disconnected.
0: I, I, I don't disagree. I, I work in somewhat a medium to large sized town. Um, there's a university there. They have a lot of events. I was eating at one of the local eateries there and there was a little card about human trafficking. It was a burger shop. And, uh, I think I may have said this before, I told the story before, The two gentlemen co-workers that I was with, they're like, why are you picking up this human trafficking thing? And I said, this is important. This stuff happens. This is happening here. They're like, this is not happening here. I'm like, it's here for a reason. Mm -hmm. It's happening here. I said, I need to read this card. I'm like, we need to read this card. We need to see what this says and be aware and and see what it says. And, you know, it's like, uh, somebody who it's not dressed appropriately for the weather somebody who um, doesn't look like uh, they're in great health who has uh, difficulty speaking the language like maybe they don't actually speak English and they're not wearing shoes and their clothes look kind of tethered and maybe they look really tired or drugged Um, and then there is like a other indications that you could look for if you're, you know, um, like uh, a hotel worker or some uh, event planner or, you know, uh, somebody in the service industry, like at a restaurant or something like that. They had different things and then they had an 800 number to call. Mm-hmm. If you suspect it, you can call this number. You can, you could try to help the person get to a safe place and have and call the center for resources so that this person can
1: find safety again. And that's so important that you even pick that up because like the people who are who were with you um it's our nature to deny what's uncomfortable.
0: Right? And I felt like oh we're moving forward and things are going well. And then I watched the Jeffrey Epstein series on Netflix and felt like I was just like... Yeah. Okay, we're, we're we're maybe, you know, stopping some of it. But if you have enough money, there's... Right.
1: It's hard to not feel futile when you see s- these horrible things going on and are powerless to stop it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I was... I follow a, a task, a local Michigan task force on Facebook, and I read the stories that they share, and I try to be informed, and I try to like share things with other people. So, it trafficking is real. Human women, children, adults. It's it's a it's a slave system. It's here. It's. it's and it's been happening forever. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. We have to evolve as a species to where things like this are are incomprehensible to us. And I'm not sure how we get there. I don't know either.
0: Yeah. I have a friend who has a breeding program. He thinks it would solve a lot of issues. And I was like, (laughs) dude, I don't disagree with you but i don't want
1: you being the decision maker (laughs) exactly there's a whole another power dynamic there and this podcast is not here to solve the world's problems merely to comment on them (laughs) Uh, so uh next question did you
0: search for more information about georgia tan and the tennessee children's home society after reading before we were yours
1: i think we both did (laughs) what was your biggest impression of what you read apart from the book uh
0: so i was so angry that victims didn't get to have their day in court that Mm -hmm. she died before she could be arraigned and had to go in and have these people say no terrible
1: stuff happened to us because of you you're not that great my whole thing was is till her dying day she felt like she did these children a favor. So if you read the story of all the kids in this book, they were so happy and they had their fairy tale life on the river and they didn't know that they were lacking in anything. And to Georgia Tan, like a happy life meant having money, right? Right. And so she felt to her dying breath that she did these kids a favor, that she did them a service, not to mention the fact that, you know, According to our money, she would have been a multi-millionaire at the time. Right. And right. not to mention the fact that a lot of children died in her care. and It was over 500 bodies. Yes. Camilla, who was one of the sisters, who was the only one with dark hair and blonde hair, blue-eyed children were the most sought after, and she was molested and disappeared. And presumably died but we don't really we we know she did but we don't really know and the sisters never really knew because she just disappeared and it was never spoken of and that so that did happen to these kids and this woman honestly believed that that was better from than them suffering in poverty yeah which none of these kids maybe some of them were i don't even know but
0: some of them had Families of parents that actually wanted them that Who showed that came up looking for them yes. and, and wanted the kids, and she was like, "No, they're not here. They've been adopted out. Go away." And records were destroyed. Right, an average adoption fee in Tennessee at the time would be like seven dollars, and she's charging thousands of dollars for adoption fees for these kids, changing names, changing the names of the parents, changing uh, birth dates. Like, maybe, you're not even the same age. Your age is completely different.
1: So. Yeah, it was appalling.
0: I read, there's a follow-up book to this book. It's not written by Lisa Wingate as well. It's written with her and another author, whose name I can't remember right now, but it's called Before and After. So she said that this book came out within months. She is getting emails all the time from, uh, now adults who were children that were living in the Tennessee children's home. Mm. And they wanted to say, can there be a reunion? Can we get together? Can I talk to other people about the, and tell the story of my family? And so she tries to organize it. And, uh, they just want their stories to be heard. So she writes this book and it's just filled with Stories of real people. Real stories of what happened to their families. And and some of them are positive, and some of them aren't. Yeah, so it's just I would like,
1: like to read that.
0: Which I found enjoyable, and it's not super long, but yeah, it's great. <clears throat> okay, so, do you think there will be a happy ever-ending for Avery and Trent?
1: I did, because I am a real sucker for... Uh, synchronicities and things are meant to be and um i like who avery became when she was on the island with trent and i think that she liked who she became and she became more and more to see the problems with this relationship with this fiance who was expected to be her fiance you know and so so the whole story is avery's um Perspective changing about her own life because of what she learned about her past, so I think she really started to prioritize more about what was important to her instead of what was expected of her embracing who she sh- right. who she is so I think they had the fairy tale happily ever after
0: <laughs> I would like to hope so too yeah I really liked Trent a lot i I was like oh. She calls him at midnight, and he's like, hello? (laughs) I'm like, Avery, you pick up a phone, it's got the clock right on the front. How can you not tell you're calling the man at midnight? Oh. I'm like, what the hell, woman? She was just wrapped up in the story. Yeah. How would you describe Brill as she struggles through the abduction and the orphanage and her decision to return to her adoptive family? Well...
1: I think because she was so much older I don't think she could have ever moved on having not known what happened to her parents I think she would have never accepted her new family and since she was able to let her old family go like she said she couldn't imagine her life she got her love of music from her adopted father and that was a way that they could bond which I would imagine it would be difficult to bond with an adopted child who is older not just because they're not I mean of course she would love them but you know you have to get to know them you have to find that common ground more as you would a friend or you know an acquaintance and so she had that music bond with her adopted father and then this life she would never would have had right but I don't think that I think she would have always wondered had she not had that closure
0: she returns to the adopted family more for her sister, cause her sister's wanting mommy. Yes. Her sister's been scared and upset. Mm-hmm. Um, the the riverboat life wasn't the same. It wasn't what you know Rill had said it was. She didn't really remember it that well at the at that point. Mm-hmm. And so um, Rill's just sort of like, you know, if they take her back, Sophia, just please don't send me back to the Tennessee Children's Home. And they were like, we missed you. And, <laughs> And she's really surprised by it. And I was like, oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. Like, "Oh." So, Avery struggles to come to terms with Grandma Judy's dementia. Her family wrestles with the difficult choices about Grandma Judy's care. Has memory loss and elder care affected your family in what ways?
1: Luckily, I have been spared that with all of my grandparents. Um, I, mean, I remember my grandpa in particular really worried that at the end of his life he wouldn't be himself but he was so I have not had to deal with that with any of my grandparents who passed
0: so my my grandfather on uh, my dad's side of the family had some dementia um didn't like wander around and escape the house but it got to the point where they weren't able to fix their own meals and take their medications without somebody there to assist them um, the family decided to just put them in a, in a home for easement of themselves that they just knew that they were cared for and they were receiving their medication and meals when they needed it. And then my, my mom's father-in-law had, um, Alzheimer's and that was very hard for the family. They tried to keep him at home for as long as possible, hired, uh, in home care until he needed more can not be left alone at all uh and then eventually they get to a point where um you just need somebody there to bathe them feed them do everything for them because they don't remember how to do anything mm-hmm. and it was it was very challenging i can't imagine it was challenging for them just to visit him they would yeah. still visit him and he wouldn't remember who they were you know any of those sorts of things but they're like we want to make sure that he's being taken care of we're here to see that he's still okay, yeah. which um, some people don't want to visit their loved ones when they're in that state because it's really hard. It's yeah. really hard to see them so feeble and not remembering anything. And you're like, I want to remember our good times together. I don't want to remember, yeah.
1: you know, you wiping poo all over everything, right? Right. Unfortunately, though, unless I mean, a lot of times, especially if people are, in homes unless you are a constant presence in their life, they can become overlooked. Yeah. And I don't think the
0: staff necessarily do that on purpose. Oh no. It's just that they become complacent mm-hmm. and, you know, people do get Which,
1: overlooked. I it's funny that you mention that because there's one quote in this book aside from the questions that I really, really wanted to read it's in the prelude to the book and it says, um, in my multifold years of life, I have learned that most people get along as best they can. They don't intend to hurt anyone. It's merely a terrible byproduct of surviving. And I thought like that sentence when I first read it just floored me and it fits right in perfectly to what we were talking about (laughs) anyways
0: uh well we need to start wrapping up the podcast so we can do like one more question and then anything else you want to discuss okay so uh let's see here oh uh will you be passing this book on to someone Mm.
1: else you know i have already told a lot of people that i enjoyed this book and that i liked it and everybody's always really surprised because it's definitely not a fantasy fiction novel (laughs) there are no elves there's no magic (laughs) but I really enjoyed it and especially like my mom and certain people I think would really like it I would definitely recommend this book
0: I have forced my book club ladies to all read it so I gave it a a recommendation and to all the listeners out here uh, thank you for listening um Oh, was there anything else that you wanted to talk about? No,
1: just that quote. I'm glad I got that out, and um, thanks for the for the lime seltzer. It's pretty awesome.
0: The lime seltzer is very delicious. Yeah. So thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will hopefully be back in another month. Yeah. Bye. Bye.